Thanks, everybody. It seems like it's been a while since I've been able to stand up here before you guys, but I am still around, and uh, they do roll me back out from time to time to make sure you understand that there are people with gray hair still on staff here at Cypress Creek Church. It's like the youth movement has taken over, and the energy and excitement is contagious, and I love it. We actually got to have a staff retreat early this week, and so we got Bob Moss and I. We still got a little bit of age around uh, trying to keep these young bucks going the right direction, but honestly, it's an incredibly exciting time for our church with all the, uh, the amazing things that are going on. Taylor just highlighted so many of them. Don't miss the chance to, to pray. Those yellow handouts, uh, Rhonda, you know, would love your help in kind of choosing a time slot and praying next Saturday. What a great opportunity to pray for all the ministry partners that we have. Yeah, so if you're kind of new or haven't been here in a while, my name's Sean. I'm on staff. I get to kind of help with counseling and um, teaching, and it's just a fun place to be. This is a great church. It's a lot of folks who are trying to walk their way toward the Lord uh, along that imperfect road that we all travel. We try to manage that in the midst of just real life and real things that are going on. Friday, this past Friday, was Valentine's Day. And uh, that's a time in our culture where, you know, you ladies get to hopefully be celebrated by the man in your life. Um, we, we do that a couple times a year. There's usually an anniversary and then there's kind of Valentine's Day. Sometimes we miss the anniversary because it's at random times during the year. And there, and there, but Valentine's Day is hard for us to miss because it's in our face and everybody's paying attention to that. Evidently, according to the story, this St. Valentine fella back in 269, he was helping um, persecuted Christians. And he was also marrying Christians. And those were things that the government and the ruling authority at the time didn't want to happen. So they imprisoned him. They put him in jail. And according to the story, while he was in jail, he found out that the jailer's daughter was blind. And he prayed for the jailer's daughter. And a miracle happened. And the jailer's daughter was able to see. They had some sort of relationship for the short period of time before St. Valentine went from being imprisoned to being beheaded. And as the story goes, uh, on the last day, he wrote a note to the jailer's daughter who he had kind of grown fond of. And uh, at the end of it, he signed, Your Valentine. And then that was the, the end for him because he lost his head at that point. Um, but that established something that's been carrying on now for uh, a couple thousand years, this Valentine's Day thing. So it feels like it's probably appropriate that since Valentine's Day just happened and it had something to do with Christians and it had something to do with marrying folks that... Uh, maybe we kind of talk about family a little bit today. It fits in the theme of where Jose has been taking us through this whole let's go uh, up to the mountain of the Lord, let's gather together, and then let's scatter. Last week, Jose did talk about family. Let's see if we got this graphic so I can make sure and stay on track with where Jose was. So we've got these concentric circles, right? And uh, we've been working our way, uh, just started last week with community there in the community circle. And so today we're going to talk about family, and actually next week as well. Because family really is at the heart of what it looks like to gather together. We need as families to be gathering together. We need to gather our own family together, teach the Word of God, understand His precepts and His ways, and then be able to launch out and scatter into a world that desperately needs what we have. So family is kind of at the heart of that. Jose touched on community, covered that in Acts chapter 2. Last week, go back and listen to it if you, if you haven't, because the need for community is so important. Even smaller than community, though, is what happens in our own home, what happens in our marriages, what happens in our families, what happens with our kids. When we think of the word family, it automatically is going to conjure something up that's got some pretty significant emotional ties for most of us. So think about family for just a moment and see what pops into your head. 
It could be the family that you grew up in, and the mom and dad that, that you had, or maybe the, the health of that family that you grew up in, or maybe the dysfunction in that family that you grew up in. It may be that what popped into your head is the family that you have now. It may be that you don't have much family around right now, and what popped into your head is the absence of that and, and the feelings that come with not having family close to you. It's just an emotionally charged topic because it's so central to how we feel, how we end up looking at life, how we even in some ways view God and his love for us. So it's important that we address this uh, well, and it's important that we address it with uh, sensitivity because it's hard. Marriage is hard. Family is hard to do well. Now, even as we kind of dive specifically into marriage, I'm looking around the space and there's some of you that aren't married. And there are plenty of reasons for that. Some of you aren't old enough to be married yet. Some of you, uh, you know, have lost a spouse due to death. Some of you have experienced divorce. There are so many different ways that marriage has impacted us. I love the fact that the God that we follow, the truths that we apply in our life, all lead back to this Jesus. And the reality is there is no condemnation in him. And as a church, we stand on that principle. There is no condemnation. So wherever you are on this continuum of marriage, whether you've had a successful marriage and uh, it's still going on, or you're in a marriage and it's not as good as you want it to be, or you were in a marriage and it ended in divorce or loss or uh, death, or you're not even there yet on the continuum, there's still going to be some things today I know that you can walk away with and that you can hold on to. Because life is about relationships. And the principles that we're going to talk about apply specifically in marriage, but they're going to apply to relationships in general. And if you're not married yet, there are things that you probably need to be pursuing in your own life so that you are ready when marriage does happen. Because how we set ourselves up for marriage and how we do marriage is a pretty good reflection of how much we're going to enjoy the life that we've been given and the life that we live. The foundation of anything is important. When you're building the foundation, on the side of these hills around here, the foundations are incredibly important when you're building something. It's the same way with marriage. It's the same way with family. What is the foundation? What are you building on? Jesus said it pretty, in a pretty neat way in Luke chapter 6. It's actually quoted also in Matthew. But let's look through this verse for just a second. I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. Let's pause right there for a second. If you've been around the last few weeks, you've seen Pastor Jose put Micah chapter 4, verse 2 on the screens week after week after week. You remember how that goes? Come let us go up to the mountain of God. And then it says, so that we may learn his ways and walk in his paths. I want you to understand how parallel this verse is to what he says. This is Jesus kind of reflecting back on that and saying, I'll show you what it's like if you actually listen to my teachings and then follow them. If you understand God's ways and then walk in those ways. That's exactly what Micah 4.2 was saying to us. And then he gives us this metaphor. He said, it's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. That's what our life and our family is like if we build it on the solid foundation of God's way and we walk in the path that he's given us. But the alternative is a little less healthy and a little less natural because it goes on to say, but anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. And we're going to look at this contrast today between the world's way 
building on unsteady foundation in God's way, building on this solid rock of a foundation. How many of you were here last week? Just, it's no, again, no condemnation. I'm just curious. I actually wasn't, but I watched what Jose said on uh, video. I watched the video of his teaching. And uh, so you may have noticed that at some point, Jose went over there and he started playing and talking at the same time. That's because in his formative years, Jose was telling the story about going to Boston. And uh, while he was there, you know, kind of for music and music school, and that's how talented he was. Well, I didn't have that kind of same upbringing. For me, music growing up was sitting in the back seat of the pickup truck, listening to whatever country western station my dad had played. Now, the only commonality between my story and Jose's story was that beer was involved in both of them. But you'll have to watch to understand how that happened with Jose's story. You miss it. But I still like country music, and uh, it's interesting. There's this song that's been on the charts. It's number two right now on the Billboard charts for country music. 49 weeks. So in a couple more weeks, it will have made uh, a whole year on the country charts. And it's called Bones by Maren Morris. I usually just kind of fast forward past it when I hear it. But Christina said, you really need to stop and listen to that song. So I want to read you some of the words of this song. So we're in the home stretch of the hard times. We took a hard left, but we're all right. Yeah, life sure can try to put love through it, but we built this right, so there's nothing ever going to move it. When the bones are good, the rest don't matter. The paint could peel and the glass could shatter. Let it rain because you and I remain the same when there ain't a crack in the foundation. Baby, I know any storm we're facing will blow right over while we stay put. The house don't fall when the bones are good. It's accurate. You know, the, the storms are going to come against your life. And when your family is strong, when you invest your time and energy in building your family correctly, you'll be able to withstand those storms. So let's dig in this morning and just look at what would it look like? What are some principles we need to apply that are God's way so that we can have the kind of families and the kind of marriages that withstand the storms that, that come at us? First off, you just got to acknowledge that it's going to be hard. Marriage is hard. Relationships are hard. And they do fail in our culture today. Um, Christina and I, we dated for a long time uh, before we got married. Because we met in a bar, which is not where you want to meet your future spouse, uh, it takes a long time to convince the girl that you're marrying material when that's where you start. Um, and we kind of had some ups and downs. You have this, did I put that photo in there of, uh, of us that kind of displays? So this is us in our dating days. Um, you might notice some rips in the photo because at some point evidently we broke up and Christina decided that <laughs> she wanted to take out her frustration on the photo there. I'm assuming the only reason she kept that is because she thought her hair looked good in that picture and so she <laughs> held on to it. Um, but we made it back together at some point. Um, it's, it hadn't gotten easier over time. I mean, it, we understand each other better, but it's still hard. Um, in January, she and I went to a marriage intensive. We, we drove, we flew and then drove and ended up in Alabama. And we spent uh, two and a half days with a counselor working on our marriage. Because it's just that important. We weren't probably going to throw in the towel or walk away or end our family, but man, we weren't where God wanted us to be, and we weren't building our marriage on his principles. And so we went and got help. 
It's never too late to get help, and it's always worth it. No matter how good your family is doing, it's worth getting somebody to speak into it from time to time. Because it is hard. They put those principles up. Let's look at some of those things that make marriage hard. First of all, this crazy pace of life that we live at right now makes it really hard to do marriage and family well. We're running around so fast. We're distracted by so many things. There are so many competing interests for our time and energy that we end up neglecting the things that mean the most to us, the person that's right beside us, the kids that have been put into our house. And for those of you that are in college, it's pretty easy to get busy with college and forget about your parents and your family back home, but there's a need to stay connected to that family. There's a need to continue to invest there. Personality differences, man, we, we get married and then we just find out that we're different than that person we were married to. You know, and all the things that we used to think were so cool and attractive about them now get on our nerves. They're like, why, why do they, well, they were doing that when you were dating. Well, I know it was cute when we were dating, but now that I'm looking at it every morning, it's different. And that can just mess you up in your marriage, man. And then, you know, sometimes we just get complacent. I see this happening more and more in marriage. People, you know, just kind of think, well, our marriage is good, so I'm just going to put my eye on the kids now. We need to really focus on them, or I really need to focus on my work and making money right now. And we take our eye off of something that's really significant and important to us, and we get complacent about that, and we put our energy in other, other places. And all of a sudden, what was a good marriage uh, ends up moving back toward a, a, a desperate situation, because when things are unattended to, they don't just naturally get better over time. They drift to worse. So we can get complacent. Our past kind of can mess us up in marriage. The stuff that we bring into marriage, those things from our family where we grew up or wounds that we have. You know, the Bible's pretty clear. I've taught this before, but in the very beginning, things were going so well with Adam and Eve, and it was amazing. They were intimate. Uh, they were naked without shame. The two of them had become one flesh. And then all of a sudden, the enemy showed up, and the enemy got them to eat this apple. And as soon as they ate of the apple, things changed. They started acting in anti-relational ways that were just really messing up their relationship. I mean, they covered up. It's very different, very anti-relational. They went and hid from God Himself. And then they started blaming each other. Man, those are things that we still do today in our marriages to kind of disrupt things. And when God said, well, why are you guys acting that way? They said, well, we, we ate of the apple and we were afraid. We got scared. Fear entered the picture. And fear causes us to behave in all kinds of anti relational ways and then marriage is hard because communication is just not that easy I don't know why it's set up this way but it just is we tend to communicate differently there's two general categories of reasons why we communicate for men we we tend to communicate to solve problems we fix things that's what we do we're men that's we fix stuff and over the course of time you know, of course of a day, people ask us to solve or fix things all day. That's what communication is about. So we do that. And in general, again, this is a little stereotyping, but man, it plays out through the research. Women tend to just communicate more to connect. They just want to connect with each other. They just want, hey, how was your day? How, how was your day? Here's what's going on with me. You're not going to believe what's going on with my kids. You're not going to believe what Sean did today. And they just, you know, connect over everything. You know, but rarely, I think, do Christina's friends actually say, you know how you could fix Sean? You could fix Sean by doing this and this and this. Well, that's not how you ladies communicate. 
But that's how we guys communicate. I mean, if Ben's like, you're not going to believe what's garlic. I'm like, well, I'll tell you how to fix that. You should do this. And he's like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fix that. And, and then Ben and I would both be in trouble, so that wouldn't help at all. But we get messed up in communication because we guys, we're always trying to fix you gals. We're trying to fix whatever you bring to us. And you're like, oh, we don't want to be fixed. We just wanted to connect with you. And we're like, connect? That seems like, a, how long does it take to connect? I mean, the game's on. I mean, how long is this going to take? Communication's hard. For all those reasons, it's hard. So we seek help, right? That's what we do. When things get difficult, we turn to help. And unfortunately, if you turn the world's direction, you're going to get further off track. But the world's wisdom is prevalent and it's in our face. It surrounds us. It comes to us through our social media. It bombards us through news. The world's way is all around us. And we have to understand what it looks like to consciously choose God's path. Let's look at some things in the world's way that lead us to the wrong path. In the world's way in marriage, we're driven by fear. And that's what I talked about earlier with Adam and Eve. They, they, because of the enemy, because we all have an enemy to our marriages and our families and our relationships, fear comes in. And that fear drives us toward things that aren't healthy in our relationships. The fear of not measuring up or not being good enough or not being loved or not being approved or appreciated. And that stuff just gets in our way. For a long time, I allowed the fear that was inside me to rob me of kind of loving Christina the way she deserved to be loved. And she did the same. I still have this huge fear of loss and abandonment. And uh, it affects how I interact with Christina sometimes. And it's just ugly and nasty whenever I, I kind of feel like we're getting distance between us. And I kind of try to control or pull her back toward me because of this fear inside me, not because of love. The world's path has a lot to do with selfishness and pride. I mean, really, you guys, I, I, I do marriage counseling kind of for a living on the side. Um, if that's possible, living on the side. Sounds contradictory. A little bit of both. Um, and I, I just watched as couples come and kind of keep track. And selfishness and pride are huge. We just want our way. We just want to be, we want our, you know, our way to be done, our will to be done. We want to control the things around us. And those are on the list as well. You know, we, we like to talk and we like to be heard. We're at a point in our culture where it's almost like, I need to be heard. Our Instagram posts and our Facebook stuff and our tweets are all about, you know, listen to my opinion on this. It needs to be heard. My voice demands attention. That's the world's way. We have a huge need for control. You know, if we're honest, not many of us like to just sit and kind of allow God to do what God's going to do and then participate in his plan. I mean, it's kind of like, well, how about I control this and Lord, you bless what I'm thinking ought to be happening. That's kind of more the way the world does it. Um, man, there's also this, man, this thing inside a lot of us that just we're influenced and we want to fit in with the culture. It's like, well, this is what marriage and family look like in our culture today. So we should be more like that. You know, what do you mean we should slow down and be still and say no to activities? That's not what every other family in our community is doing. We should be doing it the way they look how much stuff they're doing for their kids and how much fun they're having. Look how much money they're spending on vacation. And we get swept up trying to look like the rest of the world. Um, fierce independence is a big problem in the world's way of marriage. It's like, you know what, I'm going to be me, I'm going to do me, you do you, and then you know what, we'll, we'll share a house here. But we're going to have our own bank accounts, and we're going to have 
our own, you know, because I want to keep my independence. We're going to be fiercely independent in this thing. Because I don't, dependency is ugly and dependency is nasty and, and really, you know, interweaving my life with somebody else in that way. I mean, if, if it all goes bad, it's going to be so hard to unentangle. So I'm going to maintain our independence. Let's make sure that we do that. I mean, I think another problem in the world's way is that sometimes we just take life too seriously about stuff. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about parenting next week, um, and I'll probably harp on this a little bit more, but I mean, just as, a, as an example, I don't know if you've been to a eight-year-old boys basketball game or girls basketball game lately. These people are taking this stuff way too seriously. I mean, like, it doesn't matter who wins this game. It really doesn't. But man, parents are taking it, coaches are taking it too serious, and the kids don't think they're supposed to be taking it serious, but by the time everybody else is taking it so serious, they're like, I guess I am supposed to be. And they're crying at the end of the game. And like, what are you so sad about? Well, we lost. You know, it's like, who cares? But we take things really seriously. We take little things that our spouse does in our marriage, and we take it really serious, like it's the biggest deal in the world. Unless something really tragic happens, and we realize in perspective that wasn't that big a deal after all. Then I think another wrong path that the world leads us down is this path of emptiness and exhaustion. We've got a lot of people trying to do marriage and family and relationship well, but they're empty and exhausted. Man, they don't have anything left in the tank to give to people around them because they're so busy living that hectic pace of life. They neglect themselves and their health emotionally and mentally and physically, spiritually. So this is the stuff that I think kind of the world will lead us down if we're not careful. And that's why we've got to go up to the mountain. That's why we've got to gather because we've got to see if God has something to say about these things. Because if he has a way and he has a path, then we ought to follow that. And the good news is he does. Now the bad news is, unlike Acts chapter 2 and community, he, doesn't put it, he didn't put it all in one chapter of the Bible. That would have made relationships and marriage a lot easier, in my opinion. It'd be great to be able to do an expository lesson and it all covered marriage because verse after verse, it just, that's just, unfortunately, relationships are so central to everything that happens in the world that I think you just got to take, you got to find the principles where they are. And they're scattered throughout Scripture because every writer in the Bible at some point, almost every one of them, talked about relationships. So let's look at God's way in comparison to this. The first one is that instead of being driven by fear, God's way is to walk in truth. See, God says, no, no, no. If you'll know the truth, it'll set you free. You won't have to run around hiding and blaming and covering up. You won't have to run around fearing you're not going to measure up. You're not going to be good enough. You're going to be abandoned. You're going to be alone. You're going to be helpless or out of control. You don't have to worry about those fears because I got you. The truth is, I'm here for you. And if you will walk in that truth, it will untie you from all these unconscious factors that drive you to do unrelational things that hurt the people around you. Walk in truth. The second uh, way that looks different is instead of selfishness and pride, God's way is really about selflessness and humility. Considering others greater than yourself. That Proverbs pretty good. When pride comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. Man, to do marriage well, it takes a lot of humility and selflessness. 
It's a lot of setting aside. This is what I want to do right now, or I need to get my way. It's a lot of, hey, what's best for us? What's really best for our family? What is it that that amazing woman across from me is trying to say? That's God's way, and it's difficult. But man, it's rewarding if you're willing to go that path. The third point on the list above is that God's way and His paths, instead of talking and being heard, are really about listening and understanding. God's a really great listener. So he's a great model and example for us. What would it look like if we were better at listening and understanding and taking the time to really connect with each other? There's a lot in the Bible about that. 1 Peter 3.7 says, Husbands, we should live with our wives in understanding ways. Like our, we should really work hard to try to connect with them when they want to communicate to connect. Just so that we can understand what's going on in their life and what's going on in their heart. You know, and sometimes we guys, we, we really do just need somebody to listen to us too. We need our, our wife, our biggest fan, to be in our corner. Listen, to understand. So again, we're trying to make these choices. Are we going to go with God's way in His path, or are we going to go with the world's way in its path? So the fourth point that we had on the screen before was that instead of a need for control, we're going to have to maybe show a willingness to submit. Boy, that's a big distinguisher between God and the world. Because the world really likes to be in control, and submission's really seen as weak. I remember, uh, it's probably been two or three years ago, Rob did a sermon up here, and he read this quote, and uh, I liked it so much I asked him to send it to me, and I put it on this piece of paper, and it's, I just actually, the tape marks are on the back. I just pulled it off of my mirror to bring it here. It's been on my mirror for a couple of years. It says this, submission means to defer or yield to the wishes of another. There's no thought in it of one person being better or smarter than another. It is rather a non-rebellious attitude of life, day by day living with nothing to prove. We don't have to make sure we get what's coming to us. We don't have to make sure other people treat us the way we deserve to be treated. We can trust ourselves to Him who judges justly, the Father, just like Jesus did. That's submission. It gets really confused in our culture. It's been really abused, I think, in the church. It's been really misunderstood by some men trying to lord it over their wives. And there are several verses about submission. A lot of them are in Ephesians chapter 5. I'll pull this one out because it actually says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now you can go down a few more and you can look at how men are supposed to love their wives and to the point of laying down their life and wives are supposed to submit to their husbands as the head. That's all in there. But it doesn't negate this verse where it says, submit one to another. We all are supposed to live in a posture of submission. And if you do that, if you get kind of open-handed and trust the people around you, man, it really changes the way you do marriage and the way you do interactions. Fifth point, God's way and His path. Instead of influenced and fitting in with the culture, why not have intentional vision for your relationship? See, I, I think we're just getting less and less intentional and volitional with our decisions. We're kind of letting more and more letting the world just decide what it wants to decide. And I, I've seen the best marriages that I've watched and kind of wanted to emulate over the last several years. They're really intentional with vision. 
as a couple, they, they go away and they kind of hang together and they kind of think about, hey, what do we want to do this year? What do we want to accomplish? What do we want our, our marriage to be about? And that's kind of, God likes that. You know, he actually says where there's no vision, the people are just unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. See, if we go away and we spend time with God, like, God, what do you want for our marriage this year? What do you want for us as a couple and a family? He'll bless that. He will speak to that. Much better than us just saying, all right, let's just do another year, whatever, wherever the wind blows us. Well, the wind's not going to blow you toward health. It's not going to blow you toward connection. It's going to blow you apart. So be intentional. All right, number six, God's way. Intimate connection instead of fierce independence. Turns out we were wired for relationship. We're made in the image of a God who is ultimately relational. He defines himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in relationship with each other to become one. The book of the Bible is the pursuit, God's pursuit of us, the story of His pursuit of us over time to reestablish relationship. He is relational. We were born and made relational. And despite your Marlboro man, John Wayne image of what life should look like to be a real man, we were all born and created to have intimate connection with others. Marriage is an amazing place to do that. Family is an awesome outlet for that. Relationships are important. We stress community so much. Taylor was just talking about it up here a few minutes ago because we know how relational we are at our core in our DNA. We weren't meant to do this alone. It's really hard by yourself. But God's way in intimate connection is powerful. You need to feel safe enough in your marriage to have deep, intimate conversations and connections so that You're never alone. So that you have that cord of two strands that's stronger than one by itself. So that when you add God into the mix and the cord of three strands, it's not easily broken. The seventh example of God's way versus the world's is that, you know what? God's okay with you enjoying life. You won't have to take all this so seriously. It's actually pretty funny at the eight-year-old basketball game when... You know, instead of making the three-pointer to win the game, my kid threw it out of bounds and tripped and, you know, then got up laughing and was enjoying it until the coach told him that he'd blown everything. You know, I mean, whatever the case, it's, I, I, I don't know. I get cynical in my old age, and so this, this guy, you know, in Ecclesiastes, um, Solomon wrote that. He wrote Ecclesiastes in his old age. After studying life, he wrote Proverbs kind of younger in his life, earlier in his life. A lot of wisdom in Proverbs, really good wisdom. But Ecclesiastes is more of his later in life reflection back. And there's kind of some cynical stuff in it as you read through it. But he kind of summarizes it this way. He says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to enjoy life and to do good while they live. It's pretty, man, this dude was one of the smartest guys who ever lived. He asked God to give him wisdom, and God said, I will give you wisdom. And his take on it was, you know what? You need to do good while you're here, but you need to enjoy it too. Don't take it so seriously all the time. Laugh together. Laugh at yourself from time to time. Eighth way that God's path diverges from the world's is around this idea of health. 
See, I mean, I think that this whole idea of emptiness and exhaustion just go into, and then the badges and, and courage that we, you know, are you, are you tired? Well, I'm tired. Are you more tired than me? I'm more How much sleep did you get? Oh, I only got three hours of sleep. Oh, you got more. That's awesome. Way to go. Way to sleep less than me. You did awesome. You know, it's like we like high five each other for who's accomplished the most and worn themselves out the least, you know, all this stuff. But God's like, hey, just pause. Hang out with me. Look, I want to restore you to health. I want to heal your wounds. I will heal my people. I will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. That's a cool way. Peace and security, that's the opposite of what I feel in my marriage sometimes. Because I'm the opposite of health in my marriage. But when I do show up healthy, we've got much more of a chance. And i got much better opportunity to be the kind of man Christina deserves as a husband. So those are just some, man. I'm sure we could go on all day long, and we could certainly spend days unpacking each one of those. But to summarize, let's put them all up on the screen so you can kind of think for just a moment as we conclude. When you look at those eight, which of those ways do you maybe need to think a little bit more about this week? If you were going to pick one, say, hey, I'm going to pray some more, study some more about that so that I can show up better as a spouse. And for those of you that aren't married, maybe look at the list and say, all right, what, are, what is it I need to be working on individually to be the kind of person that shows up well in relationships for those around me? All right. So everybody in the room can, can pick one of those eight. Let's do this for accountability. I'm going to count to three, and you're going to hold up on your hands. There's one through eight. So whatever number you're going to work on this week, hold it up in the air when I say three. All right, so if you're a, if you're a six, seven, or eight, you're going, to take both, you're going to take both hands to get that done. All right, ready? Here we go. One, two, three. All right, awesome. Good deal. Um, what I want to do here is we're going to wrap up. If you, um, if you are married, even if your spouse isn't here with you, but if, if you're married, um, I, I would love for you just to stand up for just a moment. So stand up right there where you are. All right. So I'm going to pray over you guys, and the worship team is going to come up here. If you, um, if you want more than just the general prayer that I'm going to pray, then uh, on the side wings, there's actually more space than there used to be. We kind of moved the chairs in a little bit. And uh, so our intercessory prayer team folks are going to be in the wings. And uh, man, if it looks like we need a few community group leader folks in the wings, we may need to do that as well. So individually, while they're singing the last worship song, if you want to go, and it may be you don't know what, maybe you're just a man and you're like, hey, you know what, as a man in our marriage, I need to just walk my wife over there. We just need a general prayer. Or maybe you know something really specific that needs to be prayed about for your marriage. There's something really powerful about prayer. So we'll, we'll end with that. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord, for the people that are standing right now, for those that are married, for those that are trying to do life um, as a couple. And Lord, I know that, uh, that around them are people who have, have done marriage and succeeded wildly all the way to the point of one spouse going home to be with you. And they're widowed now. And, they're, and, and, and I know there are others who have um, not succeeded at the same level maybe and have you know, suffered the loss and hurt of divorce maybe through no fault of their own um, and no decision of their own or maybe 
through a decision of their own, Lord. There's just so many of us in the room here that you love and care for and know individually. So there is no condemnation. But for those who are standing, I do pray for their marriages. I pray that the enemy would have no ability to come between them, what you have brought together. I pray that these couples would pursue your path. They would walk in your ways and your truth. They would build on the foundation of your love and your wisdom. Lord, I pray that just as you are their foundation, this marriage is the walls to their family. It's the thing that protects the kids that you've blessed them with and the people who come around them. So help them to boldly hold on to each other through the ups and the downs. Thank you for loving us as much as you do and always will. Help us to be an example for you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you want individual prayer as a couple, feel free to find somebody in the wings to pray with.